So, Helena, what would you say uh, is the single thread that runs through all your work that you would love for people to understand today? So I think with the work I do around love, it's around finding a way for people to be less fearful of the, of the word, of using the word in life, but also in organisations, particularly in organisations. I think we treat it as something only to be used you know, very rarely and in very particular circumstances. I think we're a bit worried about using it. So maybe to be less worried, to be more confident and to be more interested in exploring what happens when we do use the word love. Hello, our guest today is Helena Clayton, a leadership consultant and coach with over 25 years experience. Her unique business programs challenge her clients to reassess their beliefs about their work and lead to all sorts of creative decisions and positive change. Helena has spent the past six years focusing on fostering love in organisations, dismantling the taboo around it and inspiring her clients to embrace love and reap its myriad benefits. I'm Robert Diggings and this is Highly Relational, the podcast about creating, leading and developing great teams at work, along with all the opportunities and challenges of getting people to work together. If you're a leader, a manager, an HR professional, a coach, consultant or trainer, I'm confident you'll feel at home with us and get real value as the series unfolds. In this conversation, Helena explains how love is complex and gendered and struggles to claim its own space. Why love is not a delicate vase that might shatter if we use it too liberally. And how, even through anger, we can light a candle for love. Now you may be thinking, is it not inappropriate or even unacceptable to suggest being loving in the workplace? Well, Helena says it's not just right, it's essential if we're really going to achieve our greatest aspirations. Well, one of the things that I see in my work as a coach and in leadership development and organisation development is that organisations are pretty tough places to be in. They can be harsh, they can be toxic, damaging places. And it's human beings who work in those systems. And human beings need something other than sharp edges if we are to do good in the world. So that's what got me interested in love in the first place. So I I think we need our deepest humanity in organisations. If we are to do the work, we need to do there. And in your experience, what are the possibilities that get freed up Mm. in an organisation where love is expressed freely? So when I did my initial research in 2018, 2019, I asked a couple of questions and, and the results from those questions are really quite interesting. People said, the question was, with more love, what might be different or possible here? So people said, first, with more love, I'd be a better version of myself. I'd feel more confident. I'd feel more able. I could access my best self. They said, with more love, I would feel safer here. And when I feel safer, then I don't need to expend energy in making myself feel safe. I can use my energy in what needs to be done. So people knew straight away that they'd just be a better version of themselves. They then went on to say, and if I am feeling safe and at my best, I am much less likely to be competitive with other people. I'm much more likely to collaborate, to be generous, to reach out, to connect. So that was the second thing that 
you can already start to see the potential in those responses. And then from there, they said, and if we operated like that with each other, then we were much more likely to find new ways to solve complex, difficult, wicked, intractable issues. So they made the clear link between more love and better business or more innovative thinking. They also said that love was, it would be contagious. You know, there would be a, it would be infectious. And uh, with more love, there would be more love passed around and created. It's really clear. So I'm sure that there will be many people listening to this who can align with what you've just said and are leaning forward into the idea Mm. uh, that you're proposing. But I could also imagine that there will be a lot of people who are are feeling uneasy and maybe thinking that you've gone too far. So let's explore both of those things. um, And we can come back to your research Mm. as well, because I imagine your research wasn't everybody saying this is a great idea. Mm. But let's get some definition of this that may help help both kind of positions. What do you mean by love? So how are you defining it when you're talking about taking love into a business? And what might that look like? So it's a word with multiple definitions. So what's yours? Well, perhaps annoyingly or frustratingly, I don't define it, which is not helpful in some ways, but much more interesting in others. But to your original point about not everyone will lean forward when they hear the word love in an organisational context, you're right. I mean, many people will prefer to faceplant, leave the room. People have told me categorically that it's wrong to talk about love in organisations. So I think it's a really, really valid, legitimate perspective for some folks. And we may come on to talk about this to say, yeah, no, not not here, not ever, not for me. This isn't right. And that's really legitimate. But one of the things I do try and do is I don't define love intentionally. But what I am trying to do is sort of map the field of love, talk about the various forms of love or ways that we can be loving that can be useful and acceptable in organisations and in the workplace. Because It doesn't help that when we use the word love, we associate it understandably with religion, with sex, with Valentine or greetings cards. So there are lots of things that really get in the way of us engaging with the idea of love in organisations and legitimately so. And of course, organisations we we know are, are, well, I think we make up and probably rightly that you're talking about interpersonal love because we we use the word love. You know, I I could say I love uh, a particular type of pizza or a particular style of painting but you're you're not talking about that really we we infer that you're talking about people loving each other so if you're not going to define it can you tell us how it might show up appropriately in an organization do you have a framework for that yeah yeah i do and and i am absolutely talking about the love between people right between you and me between you know, me and them or all of us. Absolutely right. And I and I don't talk about the way we love our work, for example, right? or the fact that I love my business. I, that's not what I'm talking about. So let me start with the research first, the 2019 research, and then maybe move on to how my thinking and further research is where it, that's taken me. So I asked in the research, what is love then? <laughs> um, and there were a handful of things that came back super clearly. So the first bucket was, as you may expect, care. So a bucket that contained word lo- words like empathy, compassion, nurture, well-being. And I think that's like, well, sure, yeah, I'd expect that to be there. 
So that wasn't so surprising. But there were a few more that were. So the second one that came out really strongly was listening. So listening, deep listening, people saw as a form of love. And that's really practical. And this was the kind of listening that meant that when we were together, um, I gave you my full attention. I was with you with full presence, which means that I'm not also, you know, responding to notifications that are coming through on Teams, but I put everything else aside and I give you my full dedicated attention. People said that was a form of love. Really, you know, it, it speaks to our need, I think, to really feel seen, heard. Then there were other things like being generous, putting other people first. Again, maybe that's understandable. Something about accepting people, warts and all, again, understandable. But the other one that often surprises people, and I was surprised to see it there, was that also, people said, a form of love was holding high standards, calling people to account, giving difficult feedback, holding a boundary, saying that's not okay. So these things are happening in lots of organisations mm. already. Mm. So in that respect, we could, could we say that love is already present right. in organisations. So what, what, what is it that you're, right. you're pointing at something new, I, I think, well, or why are you using the word love? Well, it's interesting because I think Bell Hooks, the radical feminist author, said something like, the world of work is loveless. And there's a counterpoint to that, though, to your point, which is, well, yeah, but if the world of work is made up of people, people are not loveless. You know, the spiritual take on love is that people are hardwired for love. Even modern research tells us people are hardwired for love. We are beings of love. So if that's true, and I can absolutely go with that, then the world of work can't be loveless. It's just that the love is buried and uh, layers and layers of other stuff. So in a way, part of the, the, what I'm interested in is to just gently excavating, you know, taking a, an archaeologist brush, if you like, and just brushing away at the silt and the dust and the layers that means that we've covered over the parts of us that are loving. And for sometimes good reason, we don't bring them out in work. So I don't think the world of work is loveless, actually, it just looks very loveless because of the ways that we work within our organisations. But the, the, it's so provocative what you're doing. Your research mm. shows that and the, and the people, as you've said, that are like, this is wrong. Yeah. So as a practitioner of many decades standing, mm. why are you choosing love to be the core word? Why not one of the words that you just mentioned are uh, the buckets of love? Empathy, compassion, care, uh, well-being. When I first started talking about love, I said to a bunch of folks, oh, I'm going to, I want to write, I want to research love. And many, many people said, yeah, you don't mean love though, right? You mean compassion at work. I said, no, 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 I really do mean love. Okay, but you'll be talking about staff engagement. Oh, I really will not be talking about that. I was very clear it was love I wanted to talk about. And I think it's for a couple of reasons. One is, if I aim for a B plus in something, if I try really hard, I might get a B minus. Good. But if I aim for A plus, then I might end up with an A minus. So there's something about if we aim for a really bold target like love, we will hopefully end up with a load of compassion and empathy along the way. But my fear is if we aim for only inverted commas compassion, we'll end up with a much more diluted version. So I think it is important to 
use a bold word and a provocative word because it engages people and it makes people lean forward and it's different. And I also think love is so much more than empathy and compassion. And that's the other reason that I really hold fast to the word love. So let me, let me see if I can understand a little more deeply about what in fact you're attempting to make happen or uh, foster in an mm. organisation by framing your practice the way you are. Are you wanting organisations and people in businesses to realise that they are already loving each other and naming it as such because of the benefits that that would have? Or are you suggesting that in most organisations that may have compassion and empathy and listening skills and maybe an organisation that's based on a a coaching conversation uh, methodology, are you wanting to kind of say, no, there's a piece missing? Possibly both. A piece that's perhaps being left. I get that human Mm. beings are loving, but Mm. but a piece that's perhaps being left at the door. Yes, both, I think. I do believe strongly in starting with the assumption that there is already good stuff happening here. In this case, in this team or in this organization, there will be love in small ways in in places. We need to look for it. We need to amplify it. We need to acknowledge it and recognize it and name it. And that way it can grow. So I definitely am with you on the starting with finding what is already there and building on it. But also, I'm interested in where love is banished, where our deepest humanity, including our capacity to love, to talk about love, to express love, to let love in, to receive love. I'm also interested in the ways that in organizations we lock it, not just lock it in a cupboard, we put it in a chest, bind it in chains and leave it in a concrete-filled basement. That I am interested in too, as I am with all sorts of things that don't get allowed in to organisations. So there is a, a, there's an acknowledgement and an amplification mm. of some of the words that are perhaps easier to associate with a workplace that you're wanting to amplify, mm. but you are also clear that there's something that's potentially missing that could be recaptured. Right. And one of the things we know from... Well, a load of places, really, including the world of, for example, systemic constellations, family constellations work, is that when something is ignored, banned, made a secret, not brought in, not included, not acknowledged, the system can't flourish. That's a piece of theory, pretty well evidenced by now. The system flows, including an organizational system or a team system, when everything is brought in and given a place and is helped to belong. So that will include emotions that are never felt or acknowledged or admitted to, or things in an organization's past, for example. But I would put love into that. Sometimes it feels like that love has been so, um, well, as I say, stuck in a chest in the basement, that we need to go look for it and see if it can be brought in in some way. Might there not be good reason for that to be the case, though? So although I have a great alignment with what you're proposing, and and I've said for years about my own practice that really what I'm doing is taking love uh, love into organisations through the back door. You're taking love in through the front door, and I take my hat off to you for it. But perhaps I could say, on the other side, are you not devaluing what love is? 
by making it something that is part and parcel of organizational life, as opposed to something that is of an elevated level for romantic relationship and the kind of atmosphere that ideally is fostered in a family. You started off by saying, is there not good reason that it's buried? So the first thing is to say yes, sometimes a very, very good reason. So one of the things that makes love tricky and problematic at all for us as people, and especially in work, is that we are under aware, this is changing, of the effect that trauma has had on us as children, usually. So research will show that between 40 and 60% of us experience some form of slow trauma or adverse childhood experience, which we know can be as, inverted commas, as minor as our parents divorcing when we were young, through to um, physical, sexual, emotional abuse, and, and a lot in between. And um, what we know uh, about experiencing trauma is that in order to as children, to make ourselves feel safe, we shut down a lot of our parts of self, including, and perhaps especially, the parts of us that are really vulnerable and sensitive, understandably so. One of the things that happens is we, we shut off or shut down our capacity to let love in and to feel love and to express love. So when we suddenly say to somebody in the organisation, will be more loving. One, it it ain't going to happen. And secondly, it is really unkind, really unkind to assume that somebody can just be loving or let love in. So it's um, deeply problematic to just assume that we'll just do more love. So that's a very small way of saying, yeah, we can't just mandate or encourage or expect um, that to happen in organisations, particularly we also add in the fact that many things like, for example, well-being in organisations, the well-being movement, that exists for sure to help people feel and be well. But there is also a link to, and when our people are well, they can be more productive. They can work harder. So what I'm also super cautious of is the idea that with more love, we can get people to work harder. That's a big no for me. The last point that I'd love you to speak to is around, are you devaluing Mm. what in a family or romantic situation Mm. would be something where I say I love you or I feel love or that context? And by saying, actually, we ought to be working like that, are you not in danger of robbing, robbing us of something that is in fact entirely appropriately not to do with what we do at work? We do definitely preserve love for the personal domain, right? You know, um, family, partners, children. It belongs there. We, we, we are clear on that. But there is something in that about treating love as a, a very delicate glass vase, you know, that we put on a really high shelf up there and we don't jump around around it in case it falls off and crashes. And I wonder if love is much more robust than that. You know, love says, don't flip, don't put me on a shelf and or lock me in a cupboard or keep me for just these occasions or for these people. I am meant to be, I think love might say, just used liberally, you know, with abundance everywhere. So rather than um, if we use it liberally with abundance everywhere, more, including in work or on the bus or wherever we are, then rather than devaluing it 
in the personal domain, you just raise its value everywhere. So are you yeah. saying that the love that I may have for my children or my partner is the same love that you are advocating becomes expressed and identified and fostered in a workplace? So I, I'm, I'm mm. trying to just see whether there is a distinction for you or whether you're saying, no, that the way you feel about your children is the love that I am suggesting could be much more prevalent and amplified, to use your word from mm-hmm. earlier, in a, in a working environment? You know, I do not know. I would have to say that the love for our children would be of a different form and magnitude and depth than love for a work colleague. So if we see people in roles, child, work colleague, then there has to be clear distinctions. But if we see people, children, work colleagues, man on the bus, just as human beings, then there has to be something in common across those relationships that would be the seed of something, the root of all of those forms of love, whether they're expressed like this with my children, like that with the man in the corner shop, or like this with my work colleagues. And um, from your experience, how do you know and how do you encourage help others who want to do this know that they are connecting yeah. to it. Uh, I, I spoke to a um, terrific coach and consultant, uh, Rashid Ogunlari, the other day, and, and he, he, we didn't talk about love, but we did talk about the heart. Well, because um, I don't define love, what, what I do know, or at least what I've come to see, is that when we say to somebody, is that loving or unloving? or In this moment, Robert, if you were to choose to do this, is that a loving thing or an unloving thing? Without defining it, you know. I know when I'm doing something that is loving or not loving. So I think we have a a very core sense of when we're being loving and unloving. So currently, I'm finding that I'm trusting people's own versions, definitions of what it means to be loving. And sometimes, you know, that initial research, that initial list of how people saw love in the research, sometimes when I share that, when I run workshops, this has happened a couple of times. People have said things like, well, that's a brilliant list because now that I see it, I can be it. So that's really helpful in making examples of love, you know, pragmatic. Super, thank you. And others say, yeah, that's way too reductive, you know, that, that's not love. That's just forms of good behavior, right? So then the conversation goes to much more around how do we cultivate a, a mindset, a heart set that means that no matter who you are, I pre-love you. <laughs> I, I arrive at the conversation with a, with a feeling or an attitude or mindset of love. You know, I just start from a place of, of I love you. I also did a lovely podcast the other day with a guy called Joshua Abramson, who begins and has done for many, many years, who begins every exchange, email, conversation with, I love you, Helena, or I love you, Robert. That's his version of, hi, Robert, I hope you're well. And I do that with him now. And it was very odd to begin with. Very strange. But what it did, it created the preconditions. It said, before I go on to say, you know, are we meeting next week? There was something about laying down a threshold 
And we both, you know, we both would, he would say, I love you. We'd lay down a threshold that created the conditions for the conversation that was about to happen. So I think it as the kind of counterpoint to a potentially reductive list of this is what love looks like, uh, there is something about a kind of much, it's a much more spiritual take on love, but just how do I just be love as opposed to what do I do to do love? So let's go back to to the fact that you haven't defined it. Mm. Does that not, on, on the one hand, I know you've done it very deliberately, so t- you can tell us more about why. I can see that it has advantages that you haven't, but mm. the potential disadvantages is that in a team who might be trying to work in this way, they end up with very different views about what love is and in fact could end up being in conflict yeah. about it. So a couple of things. My definition of love, well, I, I, I don't have one, as I say, but I've moved on from those what is love responses from the research. And I also have widened it out to talk about a lot of other things that love is or could be. So, for example, in today's world, and other views are available, of course, but I am of the view <laughs> that we, the climate crisis, the climate emergency is a big, big problem. And we are moving towards a societal crisis, stroke collapse. So we are facing very tough times. So I'm also interested in working out, defining what we mean by love for these tough times that we are facing. So I increasingly, in organisations too, talk about love as hope. So how can it be an act of love to offer somebody hope? And this is in organisations too. How can we hold on to uh, a sense and how can we help people connect with the sense that tomorrow could be not won't be, but could, might be better than today. So I think um, love as hope, that's a form of love. I also talk about anger and love. You know, that anger is a way to connect us with what we think is wrong with the world or where something has been breached or where somebody has been violated or a boundary crossed. And connecting with that anger actually is a form of love because it reminds us what really matters. So I'm really widening it out to to go much broader. And I would, if I was working with a team to talk about team culture or team climate or how we want to work or what kind of team do we want to be, I would first be encouraging them to create their own map of the field of love. When we talk about love as a team, what do we think it might be? What's in, what's out? What does love mean for you? Ah, interesting. What does it mean for you? Ah, I see it differently. This is how I see it. So first, I would be looking to just create a big mind map of all the forms of love that this particular team can connect with, can see, and build it from there. Helena, thank you. You have laid out your stall uh, beautifully for us today. There are many, many elements, clearly, and we can't pursue all of them in the time that we have today, but we'll certainly explore some of them at greater depth. Uh, of course, this idea, and you would, I know you'd be the first to say it, isn't new. Mm. So I, in listening to you, recall watching a video arts documentary that was made many years ago about the founder of Southwest Airlines mm. in America, um, Herb Kelleher, who, if I've understood correctly, wanted to found an organization. It happened to be an airline, but it could have been anything. He wanted to found an organization on love. Mm. And went ahead and did that. Mm. And he firmly believed that it was good for his business, for his staff, and that it enabled them to express something extraordinary to their customers because they were so well looked after 
by the business. Mm. So this was decades. This happened mm, decades yeah. ago, but it's it's novel mm. and and isn't something that that many organisations have taken up. In so so I see the the reason why you're mm. here mm. <laughs> carrying mm. the torch for this. Mm. Do you think that that proposition can be introduced to all organisations, or is it too provocative, too ahead of the curve, if you like, for most organisations to dare to grapple with? Mm. Yeah, lovely question. Sometimes I'm asked, uh, you know, what if you're locked in a lift with somebody who is CEO and he's adamant that, you know, love has no place and what kind of business case would you make for that? And I sometimes say, I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd try. Mm. So I don't think it's for every organisation. I've worked enough in organisational change to to know that, you know, to meet the client where they're at and, and go from there is a, a good starting place. And and many organisations are not not ready for conversations about love, although they may be open to conversations about more kindness, for example. Great, start there. But I do think that the proposition of, of having love at its core is something that many, many organisations would be open to exploring. I really do. And I see, I sometimes run a, uh, an event called the Love Lab, where I bring together people, sign up and they come together. They haven't met before and they don't know each other. And through a series of gentle and then bolder experiential exercises on their own with each other, journaling, you know, constellating things, we build deeper and deeper loving connections with the other people. And folks leave saying, oh my word, I could never have believed that within the time that we've had, I would feel love. And they say truly loving love towards this person who I've never met before. And there is such aliveness in the room. There is such energy. There is such a buzz, such a connection. And they say, we need this at work. If, we, if this was created in my team at work, we would work much better. So I see it time and time and again, this kind of relational, intimate connection. We have a deep longing for it, I think. But we're scared of it, but we have a deep longing for it. And when it's cultivated carefully with integrity and, and respect, oh, I think the benefits are phenomenal. For an organisation to, to embrace your work, does the executive team need to to get this does the does the md or the ceo or in a in a team within an organization the the leader of a team need to take this seriously and and is there personal work maybe that they would need to do in order to yeah. to do it at any depth rather than just go hey i've had a great idea i've listened yeah. to a podcast um, let's all be more loving yeah and what might that look like what is the personal work that's required yeah so i do think a leader, the senior person, has a disproportionate responsibility to do this stuff, to lead on things that are new or innovative or novel or that are about change. It's everyone's endeavour, but clearly that's what leadership is for. So yeah, I think there is a disproportionate uh, responsibility, but within a team, it doesn't have to be the, the most senior person who starts to light a candle for love, really, and starts to talk about it. But it really does help if they're on board. But yeah, I mean, the the personal work, the personal exploration is so key. You know, the the core question might be for each of us, really, what is my relationship with love? 
What does it mean for me today? Where did I learn that? What did I learn about love from my primary caregivers, from my childhood, from my upbringing? Because what I think might be loving, other people really may not. And I think unless we've done a bit of exploration about what our own relationship is to love, it's very difficult to then be that or enact it or model it in the workplace because we may be very, very off in what we were taught from our childhood was a form of love. So yeah, I think it very much starts with really exploring what it means for us. And how might um, someone go about doing that? Uh, A coach, a therapist is where I would often start. Just like we go to uh, the gym for all good reason, I think working with a therapist and a coach these days is a good core practice for anybody working in an organization. So that's a good place to start. And certainly one of the places I really started to learn about love were on places like the Hoffman process, um, celebration of being. So there are many kind of um, workshops out there the path of love, many workshops that really help us step into a space where we can explore this for ourselves. It's bold work, but it really pays off. I know that you you, um, have in the past and maybe continue to do work at Roffey Park, uh, one of the UK's leading Mm. leadership and management Mm. training centres. Are there courses either there or in other institutions that are specifically aimed at leadership that are about love? Because the the things that you've named, the Mm. Hoffman process, the path of love, celebration Mm. of being, uh, these are are really personal work courses or retreats or experiences. So is, Mm. is the practice that you are now leading on translating into leadership training that embodies love? So my connection with Rofi is that they published um, my initial research. And in fact, I'm just in the middle of updating it for 2023. So that'll be available soon. So they are a big supporter of the work. They think it's needed and relevant for these times that we're in and the organizations that we have right now. But like most mainstream leadership development places, to my knowledge anyway, there isn't anything explicitly that brings love into things. The organization that I think is starting to do it most is an international organization called Mobius Leadership. Their chief exec, Amy Fox, talks a lot about the importance of bringing love into leadership and the importance of being trauma-informed in how we do leadership and how, and I'm really with her on this, how our organizations might, could be places that heal as opposed to do harm. So Mobius might be a place to look. I mean, I've occasionally run a few times now my Leading from Love program, which I run sort of once a year, but it isn't there in mainstream. The other place that folks can look is if you Google conscious leadership, then you may find some smaller consultancies that have love very much at the heart of their offering, but not in the mainstream, actually. There is a stigma around love. There's a difficulty around its connections to sex and romantic uh, relationships. And there are other reasons why this is problematic from your research, uh, problematic in the workplace. So let's, can we address some Mm. of this? If I'm listening to this thinking love is about sex, I I love my partner. And part of that is because I want to make love to them. And I love my children uh, in a different way, but it's a deep emotional and embodied connection. 
And neither of these things are appropriate for work. It's You said earlier, some people say it's wrong. Mm. I'd love mm. you to talk to that. Uh, for those people who may, may even be listening to this going, <laughs> sure. this, this is wrong. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In yes. what ways have people told you it's wrong? And how do you then respond to that? Yeah. So I think the uh, most common one, and it doesn't it doesn't happen so much now, as I say, the most common one is that it's for the personal domain. Mm-hmm. It's not for anything outside of my private life. <laughs> Kenneth Williams, the actor, said, love is the most awful invasion of privacy. I love that quote. Beautiful. Um, Beautiful. And it is, right? It is invasive. So that's one of the reasons why it, doesn't kind of map onto the workplace so easily because we go to work, not all of us, many of us, we go to work to earn money or to offer my, you know, head and my hands for however many hours a week. But there is something about, look, I give you my head and my hand. You're not having my soul. You're not having my heart. No, you know, and that's entirely right. So the exploitative ways that we work these days other views are available, or the my supervisor uses the phrase, which I also use now, that the fact that we work in a system that is driven by extractive capitalism. Is, you know, so we do need to protect ourselves. We do need to hold really clear boundaries to say, you're not getting all of me. I'm quite right too. The other one is what I've already alluded to, which is the impact that trauma has had on many, many of us. There's a great paper Uh, a research paper that shows how the impact of the wounds really created by childhood trauma get re-triggered in organisational change. So when people, inverted commas, resist or are difficult, inverted commas, uh, it's often because there's really, really good reason because we are trying to protect ourselves like we did when we were children. So again, there's something about the invitation to bring our most vulnerable parts into the organisation. It's unsafe for many of us. So, of course, we don't and we shouldn't be made to. And the other thing is that, uh, two actually, I think, love is gendered. Love, especially when we think of it as care, is seen as woman's work, women's work. In the olden days, you know, men went to work, women stayed at home. Their domain was the domestic and familial space and care belonged there. So a lovely book by Madeleine Bunting, she talks about how when women entered the workplace, they didn't want to bring their caring into the workplace because they needed to be taken seriously in a man's world. So they left, they didn't want to pick up care. Men sure as hell didn't want to pick it up either because it was seen as women's work. So no one is picking up care in the organisation, if care equals love. Mm. So nobody wants to pick it up. Because it's a, a kind of a, a second value work. And is there mm. anything that, that you've found through your work, through the research or through the love labs or the other uh, experiential mm. kind of way of working with this that you've found that can be a, a mitigation or a, a softening of those positions or a, a way of reinterpreting those positions that you've just, you've just covered? Well, I think it, it sort of comes from the love lab work. So myself and a team, we're working with a big global client and we are working with their senior directors doing their leadership development. And fortunately, the client knows us, trusts us. So every intervention we build, every learning thing that we design and run has in it elements of connection, 
that are safe yet build something fantastic. So we will start with check-ins. One, for example, that we will commonly use is based on Lencioni's questions that may include things like, where were you in the sibling order? What is something that has really shaped you to become the leader you are today? And we invite people to speak to these kind of things to their colleagues. So they're bringing something from their very personal space in a, in a safe way into the public domain in organizations. And what they find is people come up to them immediately and say things like, oh my gosh, you were raised by a single mum in poverty as well. Me too. Right? Or, wow, you were a twin. I, me too. You know, so the connections that forms between people. On the same programs, we bring in poetry, we bring in music. So we're just slowly, slowly, in tiny ways, bringing more and more of the human into the corporate. And the changes we're seeing in the groups are amazing. People say, I feel a sense of connection with my work colleagues that I've never felt in my 20 years of working here. No, I don't think I would name it as love. And I don't think they would either. But I do think it is the foothills of love and does start to allow much greater trust and relational relationality, relational strength, connection, intimacy. And they start to see each other as human beings. And that makes all the difference. I'm very interested in archetypes, as you as you may know, and I'm particularly interested in uh, the archetypes of, of sovereign lover, mm. warrior, and magician, and the gateway emotions that are needed to really connect into those archetypes. And interestingly uh, for me in our conversation today, the gateway emotion for lover is grief. Mm. And part of what I'm wondering is whether what's tricky here is that in, in order to really do the work around love yep. requires a willingness to experience a considerable amount of grief. Indeed. So another form of love, I say, in the things I write about is love as grief or holding space for grief and loss. So until we look at and allow ourselves to feel and allow a connection with grief and loss and sadness, then it is hard for us to find our way to love. For sure. And I think it is one of the, the other things in organizations that gets stuck in the basement with love is our reluctance, uh, inability, discomfort with looking at or feeling the very, very painful feelings associated with loss. And any change is associated with loss. I mean, um, Francis Weller's work on grief is lovely, but he talks about anticipatory grief. So even the prospect of the climate crisis, you know, connects us to an, a, to a deep anticipatory grief at what we may well, almost certainly will lose. So absolutely, that's definitely part of finding ways to connect with love. But also in kind of counterbalance, really, the, it's said that the gateway emotion to access our sovereign is joy. And the sovereign archetype is very much rooted in love, in our best self, in our wiser self, in our ability to value and honor and appreciate and bless somebody. And I really love that, that joy is the gateway emotion, that it releases and frees us. So I think also connecting with joy and helping other people connect to joy is a form of love. 
So let's let's just expand a little bit more before we finish mm-hmm. around the practical things that someone listening to this can do if they wanted to start exploring this with their team mm-hmm. or even just making a change in their own behavior at work that could reap the kinds of benefits and changes that you've yeah. um, spoken about. Something about how, how someone could be intentional around love at uh, work. Well, the first, there are two things I'll say, I think. The first is there is something called the perceived weirdness index in Gestalt psychology, I think. And in organizations creating change, that's often interpreted as you need to do some weird stuff. You need to be different. You need to risk being bold and standing out. But you can't be too weird because the system will kick you out and reject you. So if anybody is thinking, I I really might want to try doing something with love, you have to kind of work out where you want to be on the perceived weirdness index. Because I, as an external consultant, can talk about love and I get no consequences. But if you're internal, you might. (laughs) So you have to think this through. So that's the first thing. But I think the second is to start super, super small. (laughs) I would, uh, for example, share this podcast with your team. Send it around saying, I listened to this interesting and slightly provocative podcast the other day. Uh, It really got me thinking about some stuff. Take a listen. Let's talk about it when we're next together. So I think there's something I would say about starting with just opening the conversation about love. And if people listen to it or read my research report or whatever it is that is your conversation starter, then you can start a conversation with your team to say, what did you make of that? What do you think of this love thing? Do you think it does belonging work? Not. Do you think there is love in this team? Uh, if so, how, where and how do you see it? Do you think we could use more of it? If we had more, what might be better, different? I think start there. Just start the conversation. Use the word love. Um, experiment. See what happens. Helena, it's been uh, a pleasure speaking to you uh, today. Thank you very much indeed. It has been my deep privilege, Robert. I've enjoyed it hugely and you've made me think. Thank you. The All You Need is loving Helena Clayton. Many thanks to her for her time today. And if you want to find out more about Helena's work, check out her website at helenaclayton.co.uk or listen to her podcast, Leading from Love. You've been listening to Highly Relational. Check out our show notes for more information about today's guest and the topics covered. And of course, give us a like, rate and subscribe wherever you're listening. I'd like to thank today's studio manager at VoxPod, David Dagahi. Our researcher is Ella Halsell, and the series producer is Ollie Giu. I'm Robert Diggings. Thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>